You're listening to the Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide Podcast. Hey, if your journey down the proverbial rabbit hole has cost you friends and family, or maybe it's just convinced your loved ones that you're a little bit crazy, this podcast is for you. Nothing's off limits. We're going to cover it all from a biblical worldview. There's going to be humor, insight, and validation for your journey. So join us as we learn to walk through this crazy world as a Christian truther, as we shed every ounce of willful ignorance so we can fulfill our destiny and leave a legacy. Welcome everyone, this is John, I'm going to be your host on the Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide Podcast. I've titled this show today, The KJV Bible and the Quantum Effect, which happens to be the title of the book of our special guest that we're going to hear from a little later in the show. You know, for those that might be new, we do cover a variety of topics from day to day that would typically be considered conspiracy theories. But one of the things we're going to cover with some regularity is what it's like to walk through this world as a Christian truther. Now, a Christian truther is someone that holds a biblical worldview. So you're following hard after God, but also you tend to embrace topics that are, eh, let's just say they're not sanctioned by officialdom. You know, like the moon landing was fake. Try bringing that up at the next family meeting. Or, the earth is flat. That'll get you in a lot of trouble. Or any number of topics in that realm, like the Mandela effect, or just anything outside the Overton window. You know, what you find out, though, as a believer, is the world will hate you if you follow Jesus, but the church will hate you if you're a conspiracy theorist. So you've got, you got double persecution if you're a Christian truther. So if that's you then you're in the right place, and we're glad you're here. And, uh, you know, if your friends and family don't know and they don't want to know, it doesn't leave you with a lot of options. So discovering that these conspiracy theories are actually real leaves a lot of people with a really a sense of urgency, but your friends and family have told you that these things aren't true and they're not to be discussed in their presence. So you're left feeling isolated, you're misunderstood, and in many cases, severely disrespected. Now this is not a pity party in our own little echo chamber. This is real, raw persecution, and it is universally the same if you're a Christian truther. Now the degrees of pain are, is going to vary based on a lot of different variables, but you know, if that's you, you know, I don't have to convince you that it's happening. Is if you've been a truther for any length of time and you've opened your mouth about it, you know you're with family here. So our primary focus is going to be providing a biblical analysis of the Mandela effect from week to week. Because in my heart, this far, far outweighs any other topic, in my opinion, as you know, we found the majority of church believers are completely unaware 
church believers, people in the church, uh, they don't know the Bible's changing. They don't even know it. And those that we do share with uh, want to hang us from the highest yardarm. We're called heretics and deceivers and charlatans. So we're going to have interesting, informative guests. Uh, we're going to have uh, covered geopolitical events from a biblical worldview and also get into a variety of topics across the board on each episode as God pulls back the veil for us to show us what we need to see in these last days. So in this first section, just in the beginning, I'm just going to share a couple of uh, headlines with us. I call this the Sons of Issachar Update. If you go to 1 Chronicles 12.32, it describes a group of men who, the Bible says, they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And I believe that there is an extreme importance that God wants to put on being in the know on what's happening under the hood. The breakaway civilization is very real, but most church leaders are the most normie of all the normies. They have their control grid in place and they don't want any conspiracy theories coming in and upsetting the apple cart. But I believe that you cannot possibly minister to the needs of your people in 2024 unless you are a full-blown, card-carrying, 33-degree conspiracy theorist coop nut job. You've got to be all in with no reservations for the truth because the truth is going to take you intergalactically into outer space. You can't even believe what's going on. But if you're concerned about your reputation, because you have lunch with the mayor every once a month now, pastor, you finally worked through a house church and then you got into a storefront for five or six years. Then you finally got this little church and now you've broken ground and you got a following of seven, eight hundred people. You have health insurance for the love of heaven. You got a nice little salary and here comes somebody trying to tell you the Bible's changing. No. No, you're going to press the pause button on that meeting. So, this is the hour we're in, though. This was foretold in prophecy, Daniel 7, 25, Amos 8, 11, Revelation 22, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13, and there's more. All right, but you've got a lot of events taking place now that seems like the world's about to end. I don't know about you. So 2024 is going to be a really interesting year. I believe there's going to be a high concentration of really great things are going to be happening. And at the same time, there's going to be an extremely high concentration of really bad things happening. It's just going to be raining, mind-blowing events. Business as usual is in the rearview mirror. So you got the Wall Street Journal editor-in-chief lamenting the death of public trust in the mainstream media. You think? And, uh, you know, whenever you see in the news, whatever you're seeing out there on the data sphere, there's always five or six levels of truth behind what you're seeing. So if you're, you know, if you're trying to formulate an opinion about geopolitical events, but the people that you're looking at are actually trannies because of the transpocalypse, or they're clones, they're body doubles. I mean, the Biden that we're looking at isn't even the real Biden. He's got a mask on. It's not even look 
It doesn't look anything like the guy that you could see clearly serving in the White House 20 years ago. It's a different guy. And I hear people having these conversations about what they believe in the politics, and they don't even have a grid for the fact that the people that they're listening to are actors in, in some sort of staged show. It's crazy. So, of course, Trump is an enigma. You know, everybody thinks he's a shill and he's probably totally compromised. Who knows? But that's what we're being shown. So if we say there's things going on, it doesn't mean I'm saying I endorse it. I'm just saying this is the narrative. These are the things that are being said. And we have to try to triangulate between this citizen journalist and this citizen journalist and that citizen journalist. And over the period of five, six years, we watch these different citizen journalists who hopefully seem not to have an agenda. And then you start to formulate an opinion about what is happening out there. And uh, Trump is the, you know, <sighs> Trump is really something else. That's all I'm going to say. Because we all believe that you don't get into those positions of power unless you're in the club. Um, but this, this opinion discounts God. I'm not saying Trump's not a shill. I'm just saying that unless you have some sort of relative or contact very, very high up in the power structure, you don't really know what's happening. You have an opinion about what's happening, but what we're seeing is not really what's happening. For instance, would it affect your opinion if you found out that Trump was a body devil? That's what Benjamin Fulford says. He has intel on and others have indicated that the Trump we're seeing looks different. He has white under his eyes. He's bigger. Doesn't that sort of change your entire analysis of what's happening. Now, of course, you've got the top NATO official is announcing a warning that we need to prepare for a hot war with Russia. I mean, NATO is going and building concrete bunkers right on the border of Russia. I mean, these guys are begging for a war. They want to get us into a war to stay in power so bad they can taste it. And then you got Davos right now is meeting, planning our demise. You got the Dutch Queen over there saying biometric digital IDs could track vaccination status. You know, a lot of us feel powerless. We feel like we can't do anything, but it's not true. These people are not all powerful. They don't have godlike powers. I mean, they censor us for a reason because we're making a difference. So you can make a difference. I can make a difference. And even if we end up getting defeated, we still go down with honor, like Worf in the Star Trek. He said, today is a good day to die. So uh, this one really blew my mind. Um, Dr. Richard Bartlett, he's the head of the medical 
a hospital in Denver reporting that they have vaccinated the uh, first responders with live Ebola, which in the insert says 31% shedding possibility. So you have a 31% chance of shedding Ebola. Then he talked about the studies in Africa where they have the majority of the people with polio have the strain from the vaccine. So all the people who have polio have it because they were vaccinated for, po for polio. That's where they got it from, which, of course, Bill Gates is behind this initiative here. So you've got all these people. And of course, they're building or opening a new bio lab right in Denver, right near this hospital. And they're now coming in and saying, we need to vaccinate you against Ebola. So what do they know that we don't know? But the vaccine itself is a, is a nightmare. It's live uh, attenuated Ebola. I mean, would you take that? I would be like, fire me. I'm out of here. You guys are maniacs. So then they're shedding of Ebola. I don't know if you know what Ebola is like, but whoo-wee. I'm telling you what, man, this is crazy town this place we're in so it's a buckle your seatbelts moment in history and we need to make sure that we've got a short list with the savior uh, because he's coming on you know all burners for our hearts he wants full commitment no rooms in the hotel that are not devoted to him and so i'm just here on this platform sharing the conspiracy theory uh, concepts, but primarily to talk to the truthers on how they're going to navigate when you found out these things, but your spouse, your children, your friends, your church family haven't. They don't know and they don't want to know because they got their happy life and they are on a joy ride trying to sustain what they're pursuing, which is God. However, there's also money and fun, fun seasons in the sun. And all you are is a buzzkill. You're Debbie Downer, and they don't want to join your little posse. So what we try to do is give you validation and insight into how you handle that. Because if you're cut off, if you're told, I don't want to talk about it, don't talk about it. If you talk about it, I'm going to bring the hammer down. It doesn't leave you, doesn't leave you a lot of options. If, you know, if you're a spouse... Or as your children, it's not like you can just cut them out of your life because they're they're no longer simpatico. You got to do life with them. So that's what we try to help you with here. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on this interview. It's a pre-recorded interview. I'm going to share that uh, is just incredible because we absolutely have people at this caliber coming into this message now, bringing uh, books they've written on the topic with credentials. And so I hope you enjoy the interview with Dr. Paul Grafton Holt. To our live stream, this is John, and I am joined by my very good friend, Dr. Paul Grafton Holt. And you are coming to us from the UK, is that correct? From London. London. And uh, we are very, very honored and excited to be meeting with um, Dr. Holt. And that is because he is one of the few individuals in this realm that may have some letters after his name 
if I may put it that way, that has come out publicly to acknowledge that somehow all of the entire body of Christ is mistaken when they tell us that the Bible could not be subject to such a thing as a external attack like the Mandela effect. So Dr. Holt has uh, authored uh, 12 books on theology, one of which is called, as you can see here on the screen, that I will present to you in a moment. There it is in the top left, the King James Bible and the quantum effect. So Dr. Holt, welcome to our live stream. Thank you. Glad to be on with, uh, with you, John. Yes, I think it's, it's about nine there, isn't it, where you are? It's 9 p.m., that's correct. All right. It's well, been our... a pretty warm day, 30 degrees. Unusual for this place, but there you are. Have you been known to stay up past 10 your time? Uh, not, not too often. <laughs> All right. We'll try to keep it to an hour and bring you back. Hopefully, I could prevail with you to uh, treat this as a first go-around because there's so much that we want to ask you. Would that be something you'd consider? Of course. Excellent. All right. Well, that way I don't have to rush through our many questions. I know that folks listening have many questions and uh, we're just so grateful and excited because we've been at this, I call it God's little corner, little corner of God's kingdom, <clears throat> where there seems to be a remnant of the remnant that is able to accept that this is happening. But I mean, conservatively, it's 98% of the entire body of Christ refuses to acknowledge it, even when it's shown to them, or mostly they just aren't aware of it. Has that been your experience? It is my experience, yes. The, the knowledge on this is sparse, to say the least. In fact, uh, when I decided to write a book about it, I expected to be able to key off other academic works which would be the normal thing as a theologian to do. Yes. Uh, but um, in this instance, there, well, there weren't any. So <laughs> I had to pioneer the thing and become the first. Outstanding. All right. So let's let's invite the Lord. Let's just pause and, and I'd ask everybody in the chat to just bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, we just thank you in the name of Jesus for this wonderful man of God that you sent to us. We thank you for this incredible opportunity to uh, have him share with us his journey, his experience, and what God has shown him about this great mystery, the supernatural Bible changes. And we ask you for your, your um, grace, Lord, and truth to come and speak to us uh, as we share our hearts with one another on this most difficult topic in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you are the author of 12 books on biblical theology in the kingdom of heaven. And so in your journey as an author and just a seeker of truth, at what point was it in this where you discovered that the Bible was supernaturally changing? And follow-up question, how did you come to the discovery? We want to know, did anyone bring it to your attention or was this something that you just, the Holy Spirit revealed to you in your study? I, I, I first came to this in 2019. And um, it was by chance, I was looking at a, a YouTube video and a chap was speaking about these supernatural changes to the Bible. And of course, as a, a born again Christian, as a, as a Bible believer, as somebody who has a passion for the Bible, when I first got saved back in 2003, 
I spent the first five years of my Christian life <coughs> reading the Bible, and I read it cover to cover every 90 days for five years. So that was the first I had for the Bible um, when I first came to the Lord. So I knew the Bible pretty well, um, as you can imagine, and, um, and still do today. So uh, when I heard that there were some supernatural changes, I simply didn't believe it. But I listened to the commentary, and they talked about the King James Bible, and, uh, well, that was my Bible, so I was even more uh, interested. And it said that the Lord's Prayer had been changed in, in numerous ways, that God was now in, in the earth as opposed to on it, and things of this ilk. But the one that really stuck out was the word trespasses, mm. which had been replaced with deaths. And I immediately um, said, well, no, that's always been trespasses. Yeah. You know, that's the line we used to quote in the school assembly uh, when I was a little chap. Yeah. And um, so it was indelibly ingrained into my mind from that point on. And so I immediately grabbed elect an electronic copy of the King James Version. And sure enough, it said deaths. So I went to my uh, library and pulled down a King James Version Bible from it. And sure enough, it said deaths as well. Well, I was completely dumbfounded and um, spent the next two hours listening to what this chap had to say and making copious notes about other passages of the Bible which had been similarly altered. And um, I was completely dumbfounded and amazed. And my wife then came in, another born-again Christian, and I asked her to recite the Lord's Prayer, and she did. And, of course, she used the words trespasses. Mm -hmm. I said, well, are you aware that that's no longer in the Bible? Um, it's not in the King James Bible. And she said, well, of course it is. I can show it to you if you like. So she got her King James Bible and showed me the word deaths. And she said, <coughs> well, I, I don't understand how this has happened. I'll go up into the loft and I'll get my mother's Bible, which has been passed down the generations. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Did you say that your Bible said trespasses and hers said debts? No, both of them said debts. Okay. Mine said debts, hers said debts. And that was, of course, consistent with what this chap on the uh, YouTube channel had been saying. Right, okay. So she went up into the loft and spent about 20 minutes scrambling up there, locating mom's uh, King James Bible, which went back a long time. Yes. And had been a family heirloom. And she ran down the steps uh, and opened it up. And we both fully expected it to say trespasses. And of course, it said deaths. And that floored my wife, and it floored me. <laughs> and we've been floored ever since. Wow. Okay. Well, one of the things I would like to key on is a few things in that opening uh, commentary. The first is that the reason that you first began to look into this was there was someone that was telling this message. Now, one of the things that I have come to me almost on a daily basis is I'm told, John, you're wasting your time. This is a fool's errand. Only those people that God wants to see are going to see. So it's a message of futility and it's a message of hopelessness that there's no 
there's no uh, benefit that's going to come from us trying to tell people. And so is it your testimony that that person was instrumental in starting you to look into this? Well, there's no question about it. Um, I clearly had just read uh, the Bible and missed these changes. I'm so familiar with the wording in the Bible that I'm sure I could just easily read across it and, 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 and you know, uh, not not stop to dwell on some error that's clearly in there. Yes. Now, of course, that I'm alerted to this, I can't read it without spotting numerous errors each right. time, and neither can my wife, for that right. matter. So we share these between us uh, every other day. Thank you. Now, you use the term indelible, which I have now, after seven years, come to terms with the fact that the number there there are a number of different sources of evidence that one can draw from to be convinced. So a, a prosecuting attorney may have a witness, but then he may have corroborating evidence, like the bloody knife, or maybe a second witness, and maybe he has the shirt of the, of the victim also. So corroborating evidence supports your primary evidence. And I've heard countless arguments about, you know, the underlying Hebrew or Greek means this, and that's why it's in there. Or it says it in the commentary. Look, Matthew Henry's talking about wolf in the 1600s. See, you're just misremembering. My point now is all of that falls to the wayside. The number one evidence is that the human memory is vivid, is reliable when it comes to vivid memories. So you are an actually an enigma in that what you were able and your wife were able to come to the conclusion that this was a phenomenon, which, by the way, makes you a heretic. It flies against orthodox orthodoxy, but yet it was a simple decision for you. Could you talk about that? Because that, to me, is the key to this whole thing. Well, I, I didn't know that it was a problem. I, um, I knew <laughs> that climate changes were a problem. It seems quite uh, normal, doesn't it? Yes, uh, I assume that any born-again Christian who had a knowledge of the King James Bible would be able to quickly look at this and come to the same conclusion. Thank you. Wait, let me just pause here for a moment. Can we all say thank you, Dr. Holt, for being normal? We are expecting this type of reaction from our brothers and sisters, sir. And we get oh. the most irrational, bizarre, vitriolic response that you can, to me, and many, the reaction that we are getting from our brothers and sisters is more of a phenomenon than the phenomenon itself. Sorry, go ahead. Which is quite an extraordinary thing to say. Um, and when you look at the, the more serious changes in the King James Bible, it, it makes you really wonder. I mean, I saw one preacher, a televangelist preacher from the US um, who was preaching and um, he had some character reading passages from the Bible, and then he would comment on them. Yes. And he was quite lucid and quite good. And when it came to the verse about two men being in a bed, um, he did a double take, and he said, um, read that again? Yes. He read it again, two men in the bed. And he said, well, they better not be homosexuals. Yes. So He it's... knew it was wrong. He knew the passage was wrong. But of course, that's what it said in the word, so he didn't want to refute it. Is this a truckload of validation for all of you that are listening? Hold on a second. I, I got to pause here, and I've got to show all of you something. 
uh, I need to share my screen. This is a, this is absolutely essential that I do this. So just bear with me. We're not in a hurry. Um, I've got to maximize my screen here. Okay, so. Okay, I'm sorry. I went to the wrong screen. All right, so what I want to do is I want to share my screen. here <clears throat> and I'm going to go to my website I'm going to go to a new tab that I have called affidavits it's on my website at wake up or else and it says here below are signed affidavits from pastors church leaders and Christian influencers they are all testifying under oath that the Bible is supernaturally changing to fulfill end times prophecies. So as of 828, I have exactly one. <laughs> and of course, it is yours, Paul, and I thank you for that. Here is the signed affidavit. So Paul has agreed to testify under oath, under penalty of perjury, that his position is that the Bible is in fact being supernaturally changed in some mysterious way to fulfill end times prophecy. And so at this time, I just want to put this appeal out for anyone that is also in possession of any kind of credentials. And I, I will have one for all of us, but specifically, I need these for a specific reason. So if you're a church leader, a pastor, a Christian influencer, and you know that this is taking place, please contact me at pleasewakeuporelse at gmail.com because what this is going to allow me to do is approach the denominations, um, the Bible publishing houses, the Bible colleges, and the Christian media to get a, a, a formal two-hour presentation with the board of directors. And it's, it's the anointed fuller brush salesperson approach because they're going to tell me to go away, no, and I'm going to put my foot in the door with 10 affidavits, and I'm going to say, with all due respect, I insist that you give me the time. Now, while I'm, I'm going to come back to our strategy and ask you for your thoughts on it, but I want to go back to this, this idea of indelible. So somehow, and I talk about this in the book, what is the process that people go through when they're confronted with such a... <clears throat> Uh, cognitive dissonant moment because this bumps up against a very long-held position that that really does introduce par biblical paradoxes that it would take thousands of years to get your heads around. So I understand the unconvinced apprehension about embracing this, but can you talk about the inside of you part of that decision, the integrity that saw that this was obvious, okay? It's your own being, your conscience is telling you this is really not supposed to be there. And yet the consequences of me accepting that are this, but I have to go with the truth. That's kind of the process that we go through. So yes, there was a <clears throat> blindingly obvious malfeasance at work. Yes. And this was clearly a supernatural phenomenon. Now, I did check concordance, and I checked um, the, uh, uh, the, the commentaries 
which I have on computer, needless to say, because of all my academic work. I've got quite elaborate software that deals with every biblical passage you can imagine. Um, and I also check the, the Greek and the Hebrew as well, and even some Aramaic, just to make uh, doubly sure uh, what was going on. And uh, in most instances, they were changed as well. But how? Not I'm, in I'm all sorry. instances, though. I'm sorry to continue to press this question, but how did you conclude that it was supernatural? Just from that one experience, because you had an experience where you had a catastrophic memory failure. Now, I'm I'm sure that you were self-aware that you weren't you weren't beginning to show signs of Alzheimer's. So you were able to rule out because a lot of us crossed that line. We thought, am I losing my marbles? Right? Yes. I know that's for sure people had that. Uh, so you had that sense of, you know, that you weren't suffering from some mental illness, right? No, and, and recognize I'm a theologian. So what I do is I study God's word all of the time. And I write the theology books. That's what I do. And these books sell all over the world. My biggest audiences are in Japan, the US and the UK. Yes. And a whole smidgen of Europe as well, as you might imagine. And that, that's my that that's my passion. That's that's what I do. That's what I'm led to do by God. And I write about controversial subjects as well. Um within the within you know the the body of uh, the christian uh, religion all right well uh, that's my answer the answer that you just gave me is this because you are so focused on these pages you know them like the back of your hand the level of certainty that you hold about what is on the physical pages of these books is is synonymous with let's say your name and i use this as an example if you were to wake up and your name was pete and all of your bank statements said Pete, it's actually Paul, but now your name is Pete and everybody knows you as Pete and you don't have mental illness. What conclusion would you draw? Would you agree that that's a phenomenon? Absolutely. Right. So, and so now is the certainty that you have about your name being Paul, even though the data sphere is telling you otherwise, would you agree that the certainty that you have about your name is at the same level of certainty that you had about some of these scriptures? There's no question. So that's basically where the debate lies right there. It's the level of certainty that we have about this book. And because your life path is so focused on this, there was a high, high level of certainty. So I, I, I thank the Lord for enlightening me on, on this dreadful thing, which I, I later found out is part of his plan anyway. Uh, but that, that wasn't clear to me at the time, back in 2019, when I first unearthed it. And um, I prayed and I said, well, look, um, well, what do you want me to do, Lord? I, I'm an author. I'll write about this. I'll go online. I'll find other academic works and, and I'll use them to key off an academic book, uh, which is what one would normally do in, uh, in, a, in a theological exercise, only to find there were not any. No. And so I said to the Lord, well, what am I supposed to do here, Lord? Um, and I, I, I prayed about it and I pained over it. And it was pretty clear that there was dramatic persecution yes. to those who dared step into this realm. And um, I, I said to the Lord, you know, my reputation is on the line here. I'm a, I'm a, a, a published author who um, 
sells books globally. You want these books out globally because you've commissioned me to write them. They're all about subjects that were on your heart that, that you wanted me to delve into because they're unusual subjects like predestination, tithing, uh, water baptism, etc. Yes. Not not the usual mainstream Christian topics you'd hear in the mm. Church of England, that's for sure, mm. or, 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 or other mainline churches. Um, so I said, you know, my reputation is, is on the line here. If I write this book, then um, um, what then? Mm. And the Lord said to me, well, perhaps your reputation is for a time such as this. And by the way, if you don't do it, I'll get someone else who will. Well, I can say amen to that because uh, I see you as uh, the very, uh, well, this is so synchronistic. The Lord sent me a lorry about, I don't know, a month or two ago. And Lori has been helping me get working diligently with me and uh, to get onto podcasts so we can promote the book and fund the ministry. Uh, but then God sent me Mark, who is now also with a great background in sales, has worked and, and was on the last live stream with me and is super great speaker and knows the Lord and the word like 20 dudes. And we had a great live stream and he's reaching out to pastors. So that momentum is beginning to happen. And then, of course, you and I, you crossed my path. And I mentioned with you about two years ago, the Lord spoke to me when I was doing dishes. And God said, the preachers are coming. So your willingness to sign the affidavit, I believe, is a milestone in this ministry. Because uh, that's hard to refute, you know, because we're called, we're called biblically illiterate very often. We're called charlatans. I don't think they could say that about you. <laughs> uh, no. So, um, but they can't say that. No. Um, so on behalf of the kingdom of heaven and what God told you, I, amen. <laughs> Thank you. All right. And so on that note, out of the 12 books that you've written, which one do you feel is the most relevant? Well, that's an interesting question. Now, my, I said to my wife, what, what do you want me to do here? I always ask her, and she always guides me. When I'm in a church and a minister is making a a point that is incorrect, then I will want to immediately go home and pen a, a letter to him to point this out. Yes. Um, and I will show it to my wife and I will say, look, this is going to make us unpopular at the church. Ministers mm -hmm. don't like to be challenged. Do you want me to send this or not? And every time she says, send it. So on this occasion, um, I wrote the manuscript for this book. It took me about uh, six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I showed it to her and I said, this could damage my reputation. We may not sell any other books around the world <laughs> anymore. And um, uh, yeah, what do you want me to do? Uh, and she said this. She said, this will be your most successful book ever. Yes, she did say that. And I'm assuming she was correct. She was correct. Praise the Lord. That book outsells all of the others by a mile. That is really encouraging. I can I can testify to that. I've done about six or seven podcasts now, and every single one of them has asked me to come back to talk about the Bible changes. People are hungry for the truth. 
I'm sorry. You know, it's the judgment of God. It's supposed to be terrible. It's the most disruptive event probably in the entire church age. So yeah, it's gonna it's going to be an atom bomb in the in everybody's ministry. But one hundred percent certainty, I have about. Actually, let me show you, so you're not just taking my word for it. Um, give me one second. I'm gonna share a couple slides here. Okay, this is uh, Wake Up or Else's YouTube channel. We have about 7,000 views in the last 28 days. We have about 100, 112 new subscribers in the last 28 days. Wow. So churches don't know this, but I get uh, posts all the time uh, from people that say, you know, my pastor's fumbling over these passages and he can't even see that they're wrong. And I left the church. So the people are leaving the church because of this. And they're flocking to people who aren't afraid to have their doctrine fiddled with by God. I mean, has God never messed with your theology, Dr. Paul? He has mine. Of course. <laughs> All right. So on that note, on the, on the reticence that uh, church leaders are expressing to us, one of the biggest concerns that they have is if, if they bring this to their congregation, it's going to cause especially the young Christians, to backslide. What would you say to that concern? I'd say that's ridiculous. You know, church congregations are grown-up people. They're not children, and they yeah. can certainly handle the truth. And if it's presented in a sensible way that there are supernatural changes, we live in the end times. This is foretold in the Bible itself. And he can do a whole lecture on that, a whole, you know, uh, show on the whole thing. And um, this has been allowed by God. This was for, we're forewarned of these happenings yes. in the times. They're nothing to be concerned about, but you do need to know what changes are taking place so you can look out for them. Don't, you know, stop reading the word for heaven's sake. Continue to do that. But just be aware that there are supernatural changes taking place and why that's happening. Because we're in the end times and there will soon be a famine for the word. And if there's going to be a famine for this word, then the word must not be available. If it was available, then people would just read the word and that's the end of the famine. So in order for there to be a famine in the end times, well, then the King James Bible in particular, which is the strongest version of all of them out there. It's the one nearest the original Greek and Hebrew uh, mm -hmm. manuscript, as far as we can tell that would be the one that would have to be destroyed. That's the one that fundamentalists use yes. as the inherent word of God. Yes. There's no point just destroying, you know, the New Living Translation yes. because it might be laughable from a Christian perspective. We know that's full of errors and blunders anyway, but we also know that the King James is the, the premier Bible that has the, the, the least corruptions and problems within it. I have studied that topic extensively. I've listened to numerous uh, debates between two patriarchs taking the opposite sides of that. And I was always convinced that in the King James only um, information from history, the original um, accepted uh, text, and also just my own feeling. Like for me, at, I did look at other translations, but 
to me, the King James seemed like a much sharper knife. The other seemed like more of a butter knife to me. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> that's right. Uh, and, okay, that was my feeling going into the Mandela effect. And then what I noticed is the Mandela effect confirmed that opinion because what I saw over and over and over is that the King James would be the only one singled out for changes. There would be changes in just that version and not the other ones. Correct. And I remember saying, hey, the KJV people, I think they may have been right. Look at the devil's always going to go after the truth. <laughs> yes. 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 Absolutely incredible. Okay, this is just buckets of validation here. We're so grateful. And uh, uh, another issue that I want you to try to address, and, I, and this, is, this is me being publicly accountable. I don't believe in any way that you're a sycophant. And so if my thoughts and my intentions and what I'm perceiving are off, I want to know it. And my my community is, is definitely not sycophants. If I start going off in a ditch, they let me know. And I am I've publicly repented on not numerous, but several occasions. So here's a couple of things that I'm fielding from folks. Uh, the idea that that. Uh, People, it's like a, a, a passivity or futility. We already talked about it, that there's no sense in talking to them. Well, God's, the way God does this is we're co-laborers with him. Like, yes, this is a spiritual unveiling. The Holy Spirit has to give this revelation to you. However, God confirms the word with signs following. So it's always us going out and proclaiming and then, those that are supposed to see will see, but it's only as we go, right? Like in your experience, you were shown by someone. So you'd agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. <clears throat> Just as we need to tell, uh, be a witness to uh, what God has done in our lives to people around us. Well, then similarly, we must take this information to them too. We can't take this information to the grave with us. If we do, we're in danger of having a conversation with God <laughs> who's simply going to say, look, how come you didn't tell anybody about the Bible changes? Well, you knew they were happening. What are you then going to say? I was worried about my reputation or mm. people would laugh at me. Of course. A another sentiment that I hear is if this is a conspiracy that God is allowing, then I'm meddling in what God wants to do. So God wants everyone to just find out on their own to see if they can discern between knowing the book or actually knowing God. So they, they, they try to characterize me as meddling in something that's none of my concern. What would you say to that? No, it's everybody's concern to, I mean, for heaven's sake, if there are changes being made to our Bible, uh, well, then we need to know about that. We need to alert others too. Uh, otherwise, these changes are going to get so bad that uh, the Bible is going to be um, the, the, a conduit for all sorts of wickedness and evil within the Christian world. It already is in certain aspects. <laughs> I was going to say, like the guy you gave the example of, uh, we've got many of those. Uh, I look at John 3.16, for example. You might be saved, yes. but it's not necessarily certain. Crikey. Yeah, that I'm seeing. I'm seeing many examples. There's a there's a very vivid, a wildly unfamiliar passage in my New Testament. I think it's John chapter eight, where it now says Jesus spits right in a guy's face to heal him. Well, 
first of all, I don't have to go any farther than that as far as my vivid memory says, no way was that ever in my Bible, case closed. I could go up to Grandma's Gutenberg in the attic and it would be in there and that would that should be enough. Are you listening to me? Body of Christ in the name of Jesus, what is the matter with you? What is the matter with you people? John, I think one of the problems is that people don't necessarily appreciate that we are living in the end times. Yes. I don't think they understand that. That is if a very they did, good. Would look at this from an end times perspective. If we are in the end times and there will be a famine for the word, then this would all make much more sense. If we're not living in the end times, then perhaps it doesn't, because then one would assume God will protect his word. Agreed. And there is there's a very strong sentiment from church leaders that when they understand what we're proposing, Dr. Paul, they they basically in one way or another tell me this. Well, this is so terrible that God wouldn't allow it. It's like a human sentiment argument. And I'm like, well, what about the tribulation? I mean, God's going to allow the tribulation to happen, right? And so that is more akin to when Peter rebuked Jesus and was saying, you know, oh, no, you're not going to the cross. <laughs> and you know what Jesus told him, right? So, yeah. so here's another uh, a rebuke that I get. It's something along these lines that I'm arrogant because I'm tempting to speak truth to power, essentially, and that pastors are to be held into honor and we're supposed to, um, you know, be in submission to authority in Romans 13 and that kind of thing. So, but I can answer that myself, but I want to hear your thoughts. The fivefold ministry includes prophets. And I'm not saying I'm one, but that's the role of the prophet. He's like the policeman of the body of Christ. And he goes, he, he does speak truth to the pastor. So what's your thoughts on that as far as, uh, you know, think, thinking that it would be arrogant to try to, you know, bring this topic of discussion into the open for the entire church? Well, they're frightened. I mean, you know, if you take the Church of England over here, it's a dying church where people are leaving in droves and the only people there are the older ones. Yes. As they're dying off, they're not being replaced. And the Catholic Church has had a, you know, a, a massive growth because of a lot of Eastern Europeans who have flooded into the UK uh, with our borders being as wide open as yours are in the US. And, of course, they're mostly Catholic of the Catholic faith themselves, so they've flooded into the Catholic churches. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a managed decline in the Church of England where they want to lose this congregation as slowly as possible. So they mustn't talk about anything controversial. They mustn't talk about sin. Uh, they mustn't make anybody feel uncomfortable in the pews because, heaven forbid, they might leave. And of course, a lot of people in the Church of England, as in any church, are not born-again Christians. They're just good people who yes. think it's a good thing to go to church on a Sunday. <laughs> and that's the whole extent of their Christian life. And if you ask them if they're a Christian, they would say, oh, yes, I've been one all my life, or I was one since the age of 13, and I'm 83 now. Right. They don't have a relationship with the living Christ. Wow. Now, wow. I spoke to... Um, uh, my pastor, uh, in, in many conversations that we had, and he asked me what my view was of the Bible. Did I have a high view of it? 
And I said, well, look, as a, as a theologian, as a student of the Bible, um, I, I tend to go to the, to the Greek and Hebrew sources and not bother with the Bible so much because I want to have the, the best interpretation possible. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get that from any of the 200 plus Bibles that are out there because they've all had to choose different words and phrases in order to have their own version of the Bible. And even the King James Bible is not a faultless Bible, as you're probably aware. There yes. are issues with it as well. Um, and so I expounded on many of the difficulties with the Bible. For example, um, are the red letters in the Bible Jesus' actual words, as he said on the, on the mount? Or, and if they were, are they his verbatim words? And if they're his verbatim words, well, did the disciple have shorthand? Mm. Was he quickly write down everything that he was saying? Uh, was this what Jesus actually said? Right. Or was it what the um, apostle thought he said right. afterwards as he sat around the campfire thinking back on it? saying, well, what was Jesus trying to say there? Oh, yes, he was saying, blessed are the meek or something of that ilk, yes. and wrote it down as best he could. So we have it in red letter as the words of Jesus, <clears throat> but it would be extraordinary if they were the actual words of Jesus. So what do we have is something really other than his words. We may have the gist of his words, we may have a completely different scenario where it's what the, the apostle, the, 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 the thought he said. Yes. Well, Similar, yes. Similar to issues, we don't have the original Greek and Hebrew texts, as you know. We've got second, third, fourth generation texts, which are written by the scribes. And, of course, uh, scribes made errors. They're only human. They're writing by candlelight in the pitch black. Uh, you know, 15 hours a day plus, and they made errors. Also, the scribes had, um, they wanted to help us understand the Bible, so they would add bits in there for our appreciation. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, except it's not the strict word of God if they did that, although arguably they could be under divine inspiration as well with God as the divine editor of whatever they were writing at the time, whatever they added to it. But there's also clear bits in the Bible that have been purposely added, which, which are probably not biblical. For example, when Jesus dies, uh, one of the Testaments says that the graves were opened and everybody got out of their grave and walked back to their house and surprised everybody. Mm -hmm. That's not likely to be a true representation of what was said that's probably a scribal addition hmm. and i say that because if that were true that would be a mind-blowing thing can you imagine everybody's yeah. relatives knocking on the door who have been dead for however many years saying guess what i'm back mm -hmm. that would have spread around the world like wildfire historians would have been writing about that for hundreds of years thereafter it would have been written in the documentation of the times. That's not something you could have kept quiet about. So it's not likely the case. And there's no other corroborative evidence from the other gospel accounts. So we can be pretty sure then that that was a scribal 
amendment, an added bit that they put in for purposes un unknown to them. So we don't really have within our Bible, and then of course, no language translates word for word into another language. So neither Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic translate into the English language word for word. It doesn't happen that way. So what we end up with when we take a sentence from this, uh, Italian and we try and convert that into French is we have the gist of what that sentence was saying, not the actual words. Okay, let me ask you a question on that. That's an important topic for yeah. one of the very familiar pa uh, changes is that all of the names are changed. Jeremiah is now Jeremy. Noah is Noe. Okay, so in my New Testament and your New Testament, King James New Testament, in Matthew 24, 37, it's shown as Noe. And then in 2 Peter 2, 5, it's shown as Noah. And so now I'm going to ask you this. All of the different articles and people, if you ask them, why is it translated Noe, they'll tell you it's a transliteration from the original Greek to English. That's how it's uh, transliterated. Okay, so my question to you, sir, is if that's true, then why would it be Noe in the gospel and Noah in one of the epistles? Why wouldn't well, it, it be? Would, it wouldn't. It would be the same in, in all of them. Thank it's you. Natural changes are not very clever at doing the job as thoroughly as they ought. Right. Well, Daniel 7.25 said he will seek to change times and laws. So that Indeed. indicates that he'd have a little trouble. Indeed. That only and God and does all things well. And is attempting to do a stellar job at doing both of those two things. Yes. Just just finishing off on, on the Bible aspect there. Thank you. So I mentioned these things to, to our pastor, and I said, so, so what we don't have within the Bible is the inherent word of God. We've got something other than that. And he said, oh, that's very disturbing to hear you say that. I said, well, but I've explained all of the reasons for that. But let me defend the Bible by saying that what we have is the inerrant word of God for God's purposes. Thank you. I different? Yes, I, I agree it wholeheartedly. What I have, I, see, I've been, all of us have been forced to reevaluate yes. our role with the Bible with this phenomenon. And so I did a number of talks and I'm actually attempting to codify the responses that this community has to the changes because whatever your response is, is a doctrine. Now I'm not espousing extra biblical revelation or I'm not espousing that we get rid of the Bible. My doctrine is the opposite. I call it the doctrine of adhesion versus the doctrine of abandonment. Okay, now I talked to a guy from Australia and he said, John, I've read the Bible 40 years. I don't want to corrupt my memory of what it was. I don't read the Bible. Do you know what I told him? I said, I, I said, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with it. It's all, yeah. it's, you know, he's hit enough word in his heart. He doesn't want to fiddle with what's in there. However, the other camp says, well, if the well is poisoned, we shouldn't be drinking from it. Do you know what my response to that is? If I don't get the water, I'm going to die of thirst. So I'm going to go get a water filter. <laughs> Yes, exactly. There is still much to be garnered from the scriptures. It's intact. It's not, it's not that far off yet. So those are the two responses. 
uh, but I want to clarify something about the because because you and I had a one hour conversation prior to this, but I still I'm not clear on all of your doctrinal positions. And I want to say publicly and up front that even if we disagree, like if you're a if you're a full on Calvinist, I'm not. Okay. And so we would we would have some lusty debate there, right? Okay, so you mentioned that the scribes may have uh, a, a added the idea that people ra rose from the dead. Are you a supernaturalist? Like, do you believe the the accounts that we see in the Bible, like the axe head floating or Philip being translated down the road? Do you believe those actually happened? Of course. Okay. All right. That's all I need to know on that. We'll we'll. Because I plan to circle back on the book topics with you in the future. And I do have questions specifically on the book. But as we said, we're really not in a hurry. And there is a there is a probably the most important question that I want to ask you now, which is you've already sort of opened the door for it. And it and it is this this idea of what is the Bible, what is the scripture, what is the word of God? I've given this much thought. And let me just share with you what we're up against and and then get your take on this all right so what we're what we're being told universally is the bible can't change now the problem with that statement is they're conflating the bible the term scripture and the term word of god to be all the same thing but we really were forced to reinterpret that once we realized the bible was changing we had because we all believe that same it's really a dogma to a large degree uh that the bible couldn't change so we said well if, if it is changing it must not be teaching it it can't change now i know that's not good exegesis right that's like eisegesis but i'm sorry it's changing so we <laughs> we got to go back to the drawing board and of course when we looked at it with a set of new eyes we saw there were four or five prophecies foretelling this but then we started to look at is it really teaching that it can't change? And of course, what comes up most often is thy word is forever settled in heaven, O Lord. And if you go through all of the promises that are being used to put as proof texts, what you find is that it's promising that the word will not change. Now, we only have several places to go for a definition. The most prominent one is the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, of course, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what we're told is that Jesus is the Word. Now, that's sort of a mystery, but I just I feel like I've gotten revelation on this, and I'm, I'm going to turn it back to you. The revelation that I got is if God, the Godhead is three-in-one God, it's one God, but three distinct personalities of this triune being. So God the Father sends God the Son, because he's not the Word, he's a person. So what does it mean when it says Jesus is the Word? Well, God reminded me that Jesus was always talking about, I do nothing unless I see the Father do. So, the, so Jesus was the expressed will of God. So the word, in my opinion, the definition of the word is 
the expressed will of God as seen in Jesus. Now that will never change. It's immutable. It's immutable, which means it will not change and it will come to pass. In other words, the teachings of Christ, the the original autographs given to the original uh, patriarchs will come to pass. But in God's infinite wisdom, he's allowing the parchments, the terrestrial book to be fiddled with. And I believe it's a redemptive judgment. God is allowing this to take place to test the bride and to purify the bride to see if they know the book or if they really know him. He's done that all the time. Remember when he was on the road to Emmaus with the two, and he acted as though he was going to go further. Remember that? Well, what is that? He's like trying to draw them out to see if he'll pursue him. Praise God. Praise God indeed. So speak to us. What is the word of God, Paul? What does that mean? Well, you're quite right in what you said, but I would just add to that that as John as one as John one says, Jesus was with us at the beginning of the world, and he spoke the world into being. So he was the original word that spoke the world into being. How interesting is that? Elaborate, if you would. Well, the, the world. If you look in Genesis, God spoke, and everything happened. And who was that God who spoke? That was Jesus himself. As God says, he handed everything over to him to create the entire world. Jesus was a carpenter here. He created the tectonic plates of the world in which we live, mm-hmm. just as he would have done as a carpenter here when he was able to manufacture superb furniture. So he's the original word, the word that spoke everything into being. So in the context of this debate, if we're being asked to believe that that the Bible has a force field around it, based on these promises about Jesus, who was pre preexistent to the Bible, I mean the Bible may have existed in eternity in a form that we don't know, but but generally, you know, he he was there before the Bible was in existence. That's who the Word is, or the promises that pertain to the Word are re- referring to Jesus and the express will of God in Christ. Um, and, and so there really isn't any passages in the Bible except for one in John 10 where it says, and it's a parenthetical thought where it says the scripture can't be broken. You familiar with that passage? No, no. Okay. We'll look at that next time. But other than that, and that one just means the scripture can't be disobeyed. That's what it means Mm -hmm. in context. But the well, rest of them are like, thy word is forever settled in heaven. God will preserve his word. And they, they conflate that to mean the Bible. So how would you respond to someone like that? That's just adamantly saying the Bible can't change. And they quote any, any number of those, uh, you know, not one jot or tittle will pass away till all heaven pass away and all that. Well, the Bible was protected by God up until recent times. We're now in the end times. If you can't, if you can't figure that out, I mean, what on earth are you looking at in the world today? By 2030, it's all over. Yeah, there's going to be a new world order, a one-world religion, the one currency. <clears throat> It'll be digital, a one-world government, a one-world police state. There will be a separation between the elite, the police state, and 
the rest of us at the bottom. Uh, these are all previously conspiracy theories, yes. but have now been well established on a daily basis by the World Economic Forum, etc., and the UN, and, and you name it. So we clearly don't have a lot of time left. By 2030, um, it's all over as far as they're concerned for the individuals um, on, 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 on this planet. In fact, we're to be cold. Uh, they don't want 90% of us uh, living anymore. We're not going to be useful to the elite at that stage. We'll be replaced by AI and whatever else they have. So if you believe that, or some of that, if you believe that we're now in the end times, where nothing has to really take place now <clears throat> to fulfill end time scripture, other than the revealing of the Antichrist, well, then we can bring into play the famine for the word, which God foretells there will be a time when there'll be a famine for the word. Yes. Well, it can't be a famine if there is a Bible that we can simply read and it has the word in it because that would get rid of the famine. So there, there must be a corrupted word to the point where it is famine-like. Agreed. At which stage we don't have a word anymore, or we yeah. don't have scripture, we don't have the Bible. Of course, you're right, Jesus is the word, and he's up in heaven with the Father. Now, we're told in the end times, and most pastors don't believe we're in the end times. They don't believe the book of Revelation is an end times prophecy. They think the book of Revelation, which I wrote a book about, by the way, um, is some other explanation that is talking about, uh, you know, 70 AD, um, or it's uh, some kind of um, metaphor. So they're preterists. Yes. But uh, I think a sensible reading of it, and that's certainly my view, is that this is end times prediction. And if it is, then that brings into place uh, the, the book of Revelation that talks about uh, the Antichrist being able to change history and time, history and laws, times and laws. Now, time can only relate to history within the context of the passage. And so historic events have been changed, as we can see in modern culture, music and television and what have you, movies, uh, where the Mandela effect has come into play. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, laws can only mean God's laws in the context of the passage. And God's laws extend beyond the Ten Commandments. It also includes the Levitical laws as well. Yep. But it also must include everything within the Bible and Scripture because that's all God's law. And that's why we see the erosions, in my, in my opinion, of this Bible. But that's not going to be accepted readily no. by any pastor who doesn't believe we're in the end times. That's a great point. The context of the hour does change the perception filter that people have. That's a great point. And you said Daniel 7.25. I wanted to ask you about that. That That is clearly an end times prophecy. I mean, I've yep. read the commentaries. Yep. There's, there's no question about that. However, is it a fair interpretation to interpret the word laws? Because it does appear in Ezra 7 as the law of God. That's how it's interpreted in yes. the King James. Yes. So it, it, that is a fair to, to interpret that yes. as a supernatural interpretation. That is fair. Yes, yes. So God has, has allowed history and his laws to be changed yeah. in furtherance of uh, his plan 
for the summation of man's time here on earth before the parousia, before the return of Christ. And we All are right. in that period now. Just a question of whereabouts are we in, in that in that seven-year countdown? We might right. be in it as we speak, mm -hmm. or we might be about to go in it because the uh, famine in the Bible is not quite sufficient at this stage to uh, measure up to that particular passage. I would agree with that as well. Um, with the assumption that we're drawing near to the tribulation yes. and the appearance of the Antichrist, could you describe what you think would happen, will happen to the average church that continues down the path of ignoring the Bible changes and thinking that their Bible has a force field around it? What's going to happen in that church? Well, I, I dread to think, uh, really. It's the same with the, with the tribulation and the rapture. I wrote a book about that as well on, on you know, uh, the rapture of the church, uh, whether that's uh, at the beginning of the seven years, at the middle point of the seven years, or the end of the seven-year period. And my view is it's in the middle. It's a mid-rapture. So we have three and a half years after the revealing of the Antichrist, and then we are whisked away to avoid the wrath of God, which will then fall on planet Earth. And I wrote a book of the Book of Revelation to explain that in, in quite uh, elaborate detail. Yes, but you again, did. But it's a book that's not, not, not um, uh, popular within the churches, at least the mainstream churches, because they don't want to preach on Revelation. It's too negative a subject. It's too complicated a subject as well for many pastors. They don't want to be shown to be ignorant, nor do they want to have to field questions on the text because the text is rather complex and difficult to discern. So they stay away from that like the plague. Yes, <laughs> that's very true. And, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so God has created... Uh, one, one theologian was asked, what's the most difficult thing for you about God? And his answer was the hiddenness of God. And so God is a God that has to be sought diligently. Uh, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to seek it out. And this is his way. And I often pray, God, I accept your terms. I've stopped questioning how God runs his universe. I'm just going with it. And so what you're outlining is the core issue, is that it, what I call the rich young ruler principle. And maybe we can end with this. Um, I'm going to keep these uh, to probably around an hour for your sake, and then we'll have you back and we'll get into, I have a whole list of questions here from the book, but this has been uh, just over the top awesome. Um, so, well, well, let's just fin finish with this question, which I just asked. And now I can't remember what it was. What did I just say? Uh, help me out, guys. I just said it. See, I was thinking parenthetically, and I lost my train of thought. Well, perhaps while you're remembering. It'll come to me in a second. I, I agree with what you are. And please jump in whenever you, you yeah, think. Yeah, okay. But I agree with your point about searching diligently for God. And the reason I agree with that is because God can only use us to the extent that we know him. Yeah. And yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So the more we diligently search to know God and to be beside God, the more he can use us. If we don't make that diligent search, then we can be misguided. We mm -hmm. can be guided by evil spirits, and we're not going to know the difference. We can't discern it. But the more we know of God, the more we know of his scripture, then we're able to align whoever's leading us with the scripture. And the scripture won't lie, and the Holy Spirit within us won't lie, and therefore we'll be guided and useful to God. So our use to God is limited by our diligence in studying him and getting to know him better. Well said. Excellent. And what I was going to ask you was the rich young ruler principle. Uh, we've touched on it a, a number of times already that the rich young ruler was devout. He, he confessed, I've kept the commandments from my youth up. He wasn't a worldling. <laughs> he was seeking the Lord, but he had an idol. He was very wealthy. God had blessed him. And of course, the Lord was able to have a word of knowledge on him. He didn't know except by the spirit and it was an idol and so jesus told him okay well if you want to uh you want me to fill your cup you're gonna have to empty it and he said sell everything that you have <laughs> i mean the lord oh, the lord is not playing boy he wants your whole heart <laughs> sell it all not some of it well sell it all and give to the poor and then follow me Okay, and he, he, he didn't even say a word. It just says he went away sad. <laughs> well, obviously, yes. But look, in my case, I put my reputation yeah. on the line. I gave it up for the glory and the honor of God. Yes, look you at did. you. Look at what you had to give up. I Everything. did. Everything. I did. I'm sorry. I, I canceled my, I, I deleted my YouTube channel twice. In, in a, an attempt to save my marriage. But the Lord impressed upon me that it was so, the level of destiny that I feel in, in being a voice to this topic is so overwhelming that I couldn't allow my own human need to take a front seat to that. It cost you everything. It has cost me everything. So what we're dealing with is has, has been validated in so many ways today, I don't even know how to thank you enough. <laughs> I should be thanking you, uh, brother. You're the hero in this scenario, not me. It is. You're God's servant doing phenomenal work. <laughs> so... Um, I would like to talk on our next visits about some of the the books that you've written as well, because they are interesting topics. And uh, but next time when we have you back, we'll we'll look at uh, the specific things that you brought out in the in the book. Were in the in the first part where you chapter one where you're talking about this changes you had insight into revelation to a lot of these changes that never even dawned on me so that's going to be really useful and then um we can go into chapter two as well on the next meeting so 
thank you so much, Paul. It was so great. And we just so appreciate you. Everybody in the, in the live stream has been making comments that this has been such a great interview. I'm sure this will be one of the most viewed interviews that I've ever done. And uh, I will reach out. We'll look forward to doing this again at your convenience, sir. We'll be praying with you. And uh, any final words for us as you we let you go? Anytime, John, I'm available to assist you in your tremendous ministry. Awesome. Okay. God bless. Thank you. And be sure, guys, to get his book. It's on Amazon. It's called The King James Bible and the Quantum Effect. It looks like that. It's a phenomenal read, and it's a resource. I mean, I'll, I'll have this by my side going forward, and uh, we'll have Dr. Paul back again soon. So look for that, and have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Make sure to comment, too, in the end, um, in the replay, so I'll re I can reply to those. All right? God bless, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week, Lord willing. And if you'd like to learn more about how to face the inevitable pushback that comes when you start to question the official story, be sure to pick up a copy of the Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide. It's a guidebook for persecuted truthers. It's on Amazon, or you can get it through my website, which is wakeuporelse.com. It's on audio or paperback. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter so we can be notifying you when we're doing an interactive live stream. There's a lot more content on the truther journey, as well as the supernatural Bible changes on my YouTube channel, which is Wake Up or Else, all one word. And remember, if anybody calls you a kook or a conspiracy theorist nut, you hold up your finger and you tell them, hey, I may be mistaken, but I am not crazy.